0: Check out the show notes to sign up for an interview. Stewart is a retired virologist. He has studied viruses and their trajectory across epidemics and pandemics and knew what to look for. He even keeps a Google listener on his computer to alert him to potential pandemics before the news or the general public would even consider them. He was so prepared for SARS that when COVID started being alerted and identified, he was ready with more masks and medical PPE than others had even considered at the time.
1: My background is as a virologist. Uh, So I was studying viruses and their potential disease-causing capability back in 19, blah, 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 no, a, a, a while back. And so I have had a Google Alert set up for all pandemics uh, for about the last 20 years because I've been expecting a pandemic for about that length of time. So pretty much every day I've had a Google Alert which has come up and told me about pandemics and started looking for search terms across scientific literature which might actually sort of indicate that there was something untoward out there. So I heard something about this probably in the late November of 2019. I still have the Google Alert and the number of hits in that email that I get each day is in excess of anything I ever thought I'd see. But yeah, I I haven't turned it off because I should just keep monitoring it. I mean, I've added now a number of other Google Alerts in terms of numbers of infections and such like, but yeah, I've been monitoring. I've been monitoring actively for a pandemic since at least 2003. Because I suppose at the end of the day, uh, even you can take the, the scientist out of the virology lab, but you can't take the virology lab out of the scientist. I mean, I, it was it was my great it was the great love of my life. I knew that it wasn't going to be the way that I wanted to continue driving my career, but my intellectual curiosity was always going to be piqued by things like this. So I've been watching things to do with this this virus. And it was really the beginning of the the original SARS, the severe acute respiratory syndrome, which I pricked up and went. That's even more interesting. Some of the sort of bird flu stuff that I sort of remember was I was monitoring. So I can remember um, both attending um, seminars and having discussions with people about the way in which a pandemic might develop back in my, my, my days. It, it pretty much has followed everything I can remember. We thought it was going to do. We had we had sort of you know discussions around how it could spread and and sort of the, the the impact it would have upon things. What what really surprised me was how the public reacted in so many different ways to hearing about this. From at the very beginning being very afraid and wanting somebody to protect them from this horrible potential death, to today where people are saying we're fed up of being told what to do and we no longer want to be protected, we actually are actively fighting back against it. And for me, that I think has been a lesson in how, as public health officials, we need to understand exactly how people react to situations like this, which is something which I don't think was properly thought through. The control element was certainly something that I don't think, as a scientist, I really understood. I was thinking about the science of the virus. I was thinking about the immune system. I was thinking about the way it would infect people. But how people would react and how they would uh, respond to being asked to protect their fellow human beings from spread, I didn't get. So we've now basically had the government say they want to to lift all the protections that were in place. I use the word protections rather than restrictions. I know a lot of people talk about restrictions. I see them as protections. They were things which protected the population from getting and contracting something which was quite unpleasant. government have now lifted all those protections because uh, I think partly because of political reasons and partly because of cost reasons. So they've lifted all of those protections and for me that lifting has the potential to now end up being one of the largest health related experiments that have ever been conducted because we'll see what happens in terms of changes to the virus which will be almost unmonitored which i think is a uh, something which nobody in the virology or immunology field would have recommended ever I think it's been fascinating one of which is um after um 20 odd years of being extremely boring to people certainly people have wanted to have my opinion which has been great you know it's been great to be able to sort of get back into it and sort of talk about it uh, i've rekindled relationships with people in laboratories who are now in senior positions that i haven't spoken to in years which has been great i personally lost a family member at the very beginning of this pandemic not actually because of the virus but um, my mum developed sepsis and died and I wasn't able to be with her because we were all in lockdown and I found that really hard to deal with personally. Uh, It was a huge regret that I wasn't able to see her for the last moments of her life and it was very telling that that grief has taken me longer to get over than I had expected because That time that you have with somebody before they die, I think is really critical and I missed it. I think I began to realise the importance of doing and being with people that you want to be with (laughs) because time is much shorter than you believe. I think in honesty, the business has, um, it's benefited in many respects. Finding the customers, the clients is is probably not as as easy as it might have been. But, you know, I now spend most of my time doing networking and working with people across things like Zoom, which was not something which a lot of people wanted to do two years ago. People wanted to do face-to-face things. Now they understand and they're happy to do it. So in some respects, it's bought me a huge amount of time in the business. I now save hours a day traveling backwards and forwards doing stuff that i was just sitting in a car or sitting on a train and i now sit behind a computer now i've had to replace certain activities to make sure i get some exercise because otherwise i just sit for 12 hours a day and not move but you know to be able to start to have as i have now conversations with people across the world that were just not thought of as being possible two years ago has been an absolute boon to my business i now I had one day not so long ago where I started my day with a meeting with somebody in New Zealand. I then had a meeting with somebody in Seattle, in Washington in the U.S. And then uh, later on that afternoon, a meeting with somebody in Tennessee in the U.S. I would never have done that in a day ever before because we would have expected there to be sort of travel involved. But they all basically said, oh, yeah, we'll meet over Zoom. And it was just great. So I think I think there was there was something that I remember we talked about and I, and I can remember thinking that what was actually going to drive people to be afraid of others was because as we got more and more into technology and we spent more and more time alone but only connecting on technology we would be fr- afraid of meeting with somebody else because they might have a pathogen or a virus that we hadn't encountered before and I always thought it was going to be that the technology forced us to sort of separate from other people. But it didn't happen that way. What actually happened, and this was me back in, sort of, you know, writing my thesis. As I was sitting there writing my thesis, it was sort of like, you know, I know what's going to happen with technology. We were just beginning to start to work with, uh, with computers at that stage and sort of doing some modelling and things like that. And I can remember thinking as we get more and more technology in our lives, we won't want to meet other people because they'll have a virus that we don't have. So that was my sort of, you know, imagination. What has actually happened is they got a virus and it forced us to go to in, get get in front of technology and use the technology to be away from other people. So it kind of turned itself on its head. In actual fact, it was a virus that accelerated greater use of technology, not greater use of t- technology, which actually somehow in sort of accelerated virus change. So I, it kind of came, it came at me in a different way to the way I expected. I never expected that what would happen would be that as a virus evolved and started to become a new virus across uh, across the globe, we would all suddenly discover how technology could be used to continue our lives, but it did. One of the things that I I think is gonna be really, really difficult for us in the future is how we actually manage to continue to be human beings who do actually meet together and actually do have offline lives without slipping into just allowing technology to become the centre of our worlds. And I I worry a little bit that as we have been forced into technology, some of the technologies that I think some of the social media companies are beginning to now talk about, the sort of the metaverse, whatever it is, will be accelerated because we know that we can do that stuff. But I don't think anybody's worked out whether or not we should do that stuff and what the impact will be. So so how is technology we, I certainly think had we had a pandemic in the way that we had in 2003 when SARS was first sort of bubbling up we could not have had the response that we had I certainly wouldn't have had a business today because I think it would have been impossible to continue to work across what was then the internet because it just wasn't right and stable and fast enough whereas today it was it was almost like, well, you know, now's a good time for there to be a virus because we've reached the point where it can be. So I think technology has been an interesting new phenomenon that we haven't previously grasped and used, if that makes sense. I went for a blood test just before the pandemic and uh, my doctor came back and said, you know, some of your blood results indicate you ought to do some do some stuff to sort of change your lifestyle. I won't go into too much details, but there were some there were some results there that they sort of said, you really should be doing something. The first day that we were all locked down, I made a decision. If I'm going to be at home for an extended length of time, I'm going to exercise regularly, which I wasn't doing because I was traveling so much, I didn't have the time. I no longer had the option to go out and grab something to eat at lunch. I had time to actually Uh, make some good food at lunch. And it also meant uh, because we were only allowed to go out for one period of exercise per day, which was the the rule of time to go outside, I would start going for long walks as my period of exercise. And so I would go somewhere, walk outside the house, there are some fields, and I was going to walk across these fields. Those three things, more regular exercise, eating better and, and going for these long walks, changed my blood results for the better. Uh, in fact, it ended up with me losing 10% of my body weight, which which is quite a lot. And it was just that one trigger I needed. Now, I don't think anybody would have locked me in my house before, but they should have done because it, it's, it forced me to eat better and to exercise and to be a healthier person. But it was just the trigger to turn around and say, well, you might as well take an opportunity to do something good now that you've got the opportunity. And it was that first day of lockdown that I went, okay, I'm gonna to have to make some changes. I might as well use this as the opportunity. I've loved it. <laughs> I hate to say it, but I've absolutely loved it because I'm watching the I'm watching the science and the understanding evolve in a way that it's like the world's biggest experiment. Now, it's it's not a great thing to have seen the effect that it's had on people, but it's 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 a really interesting experiment to watch evolve. What I think is, for me, really fascinating is the fact that there have been so many, so many things which I thought would happen. Now, I need to backtrack. You know, the one thing that scientists have to do is you start out with a theory, you test it, and you see whether or not you were right. So at the beginning of this, there were a lot of assumptions made about the way in which this virus would would move between people. And and a lot of the time, the sort of ways that a virus like this move is actually through hand contact, so shaking hands and then transferring that to your mouth. And and we genuinely thought that's gonna be the way this virus would be transmitting itself. It would be, because of what they call small droplets that were forming on the hands, small droplets forming on the surfaces, then, then there's fomites, and, and contacting those fomites and then transferring them to your mouth, and that would be the way it spread. So everybody sits there. And I kind of remember thinking, right, let's start looking for the evidence that that's the way this thing is transmitting. And it just, just never came. And that's because this was transmitting in a different way. So. Watching, watching our understanding, watching our knowledge of how things were working develop and, and being able to use that knowledge to actually, to build a case is so, it, it's been done before with, with viruses, with things like Ebola, you watch, you watch the, the, the knowledge evolving, but this one was so interesting because it was on such a global scale. It wasn't localised. It was it was watching it happen in lots of different places in lots of different ways. And and I think the same is true now as the as we're beginning to see lots of variants beginning to develop. You know, I'm watching how those variants are, are developing. And the thing which I kind of didn't expect, which I think is is so, which is something which we're going to have to be really careful of in the future, is the fact that as people couldn't put all of the figures together couldn't make all the jigsaw pieces make a complete picture they'd fill in the blanks with a big piece of you couldn't justify that piece being put in but because there's a big hole and you don't know what's supposed to be in that hole you just you just snatch something out of somewhere else and put it in and that's where all of the conspiracy theories started to come from the sort of you know it must have been it must have come from a lab when there was no real evidence that, that a virus was, was coming from that lab. In fact, you know, I I spoke to some people that, that knew something about the, the lab in China that was blamed for where the virus came from, and I said, you know, do you think, in all honesty, there was...? A... And they went, it's like a normal lab. You've been into a virus lab. You, you, it's kind of like the same sort of thing you'd see in any other virus lab. Why on earth would you think they'd be trying to create viruses in a lab where all they're trying to do is what you used to do, which is, determine its genetic sequence, it, you know, but there would be this, there was a hole in our knowledge. And so somebody would snatch at, well, I've got to fill that hole in. Otherwise the picture is incomplete. I can't stand the idea of an incomplete picture. Let's slap a picture, let's slap a piece in there and just hope that that's the right one. As a scientist, I kept looking at it and thinking, that's a response I didn't expect because as a scientist, you live with uncertainty. You live with a hole, in your picture for ages because you're looking for the right piece the one that actually fits and makes the picture complete i'm comfortable with there being holes in the theory for very many you know long discussions but i didn't expect people to go well we can't have missing pieces it's got to be filled with something and i suppose that's where for me as a scientist i kept thinking hey why are they leaping to that conclusion there's no need to leap to that conclusion at this stage but people would and there would be this sort of I'm going to leap to a conclusion, I'm going to, and that makes me feel comfortable. And that kind of made me look at it as a in a difference, because I kept thinking, as a scientist, I hadn't got those conceptions that that was going to be what was going to happen. People were uncomfortable living with any form of uncertainty. And a scientist is kind of... Part of our job is to live with massive amounts of uncertainty, because we go, OK, we don't understand that bit yet, we'll work it out eventually. But that wasn't what the public expected to happen. They expected scientists to know and to come along with the complete picture and go, there it is, we understand everything. And scientists don't do that. We just we just haven't got all the picture. So it was very interesting sort of opposing my scientific view of the world and trying to understand it from somebody who was a non-expert and then going, hey, where did that one come from? And that, I, I guess, from an anthropologist, you probably go, yeah, well, of course that's what they do. but But I wasn't expecting it. 2003, when I saw the SARS begin to happen in China, and I looked at that, and I thought, wow, one that I expected it to come out of China, because I'd always expected because that's one of the areas where we always knew that there were crossovers between humans and bats and things like that. So so that's always been a hotspot where you would expect a virus to sort of come from. So that was that was an area that I do. That was one of the things that my Google Google Alert actually sort of constantly monitored is anything that was going on in the sort of Southeast Asia uh, region of the world. So when I first saw SARS come out and I saw that, I went out and I bought a lot of what they call FFP3 masks. And I bought those masks because I was absolutely convinced that, that my family needed to be protected from going outside and coming across people that have this virus. And I bought these masks, they arrived on the doorstep of my life, looked at this big box of masks that arrived and said, do you genuinely think that we will wear those outside of the house when we go shopping? And I said, yeah, if this thing goes global, you will genuinely put one of those things on and wear it outside of the house. And there were also some for children, and she said, do you think Jacob will put one of those on when he goes to school and we'll keep it on all day when when he's at school? And I went, yes, if these things go global, he will put one of those on and go to school. And he, she said to me, you're completely insane. And in March of 2020, I brought those boxes down from the loft where they had sat for X number of years. And she looked at me and she went, oh, you think you're so clever at the moment, don't you? And I went, no. I've just been waiting for this pandemic, and those are things we will now wear outside the la- outside the house, because I knew when this thing happened, we would need those. And at a time when nobody else was able to buy them, I had boxes. <laughs> now, I couldn't have, I couldn't. They, they, were, they had apparently gone past their sell-by date, or they weren't, you know, right to be able to use in a healthcare setting, but they were absolutely fine for us. I had been sort of so ready for this for that long, that, that I felt like, you know, we've just known this was going to happen. It was just going to happen. And, and the problem is that we don't seem to have necessarily yet learned the lesson that actually there will be another. I guarantee there'll be another because viruses just do this. That's what they do. They arise. They change. They don't always become less infectious. The current one that we've got around here is, is the Omicron variant and that is less. It does have lower morbidity, but that doesn't mean it will always. Sometimes they can have higher morbidity. So, yeah, we have got, we have got to remain vigilant. And I just, that's why, that's why my call is please keep funding the sort of science research that just stays in the background and keeps monitoring things because it may be boring, but boy, is it important.
0: Thank you for listening. Subscribe so that you don't miss an interview. I interview multiple people a week and I am releasing these episodes as fast as I can. And if the story meant something to you, share it because it will probably mean something to someone else. Every time you share the project, it helps the project grow. So thank you. Until next time, stay safe, stay well.